It's time for Tales of Terror, only on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG-13, suggesting that children under the age of 13 should listen accompanied with an adult. Chapter 3 Get on the Bus A yellow school bus arrived and the dozen of us piled on. Instead of cops, we were now dealing with soldiers. Everyone looked focused on the task. No polite greetings. Questions got answered with short, direct statements punctuated by ma'am or sir. No one knew what was happening or the scope of it or when it would be over. Their answers felt sincere, like they'd been wondering the same thing themselves for a while. Here's what I wrote from the bus. I imagine that this must be what new settlers felt like as they set out into the Old West. There are sour-looking guys up on the roof of these buses with more guns and ammo than I've ever seen except in movies. Everybody here is either cowering down in their seat to avoid the windows or staring up over the rebar and welded bars protecting them from whatever's outside. Of course, the Old West didn't have diesel engines or radios. They didn't have hollow-point explosive rounds like the ones these boys are so proud of up on the roof. The inside of the bus stinks. There's no toilet and little ventilation. We're packed in pretty tight, but no one wants to talk or even acknowledge the other people rubbing up against them. No one wants to look at anyone else. You can tell who's with whom because those are the only groups that look each other in the eyes. We have kids here, too. You'd expect them to be fussy or acting up from all the boredom and waiting, lack of food, or the funky, humid stink. But all of them, even the smallest ones, are too tired to even complain. The soldier driving the bus will only say we're headed to a relocation center where I hear we'll be able to try and contact our loved ones and tell them we're safe. Not sure I believe it. Author's note, boy was I right there. After that, he goes back to his no-nonsense, no-tolerance-for-tomfoolery soldier face, keeping eyes on the road and his hands at ten and two. There's another soldier in the back of the bus, Sergeant Charlie Rock of the 82nd Airborne. His eyes are sharp, set deep in dark circles. I don't know what he's looking for out there, but it scares the hell out of him. He's from Tennessee, says he's 22, but looks at least 30. He, like most of the uniformed soldiers I've seen, is running on some secret reserve that keeps fighters from drifting away like the rest of these people. They remind me of every news story of a disaster's aftermath I've ever seen. Their clothes and bodies are caked in mud and blood, and they've stopped caring. The shock has worn off. It scares me to think that this is their new reality as sheep on a bus, content to accept their losses and go along for the ride. The sergeant hasn't fallen to that level, but I'm watching the lights in his eyes flicker. It's only when he openly engages someone that the light glows bright again. 
But right now, there's nothing to do but sit and wait, keep an eye on the edge of the road and over this flock of sheep heading northwest. Sergeant Rock, yeah, I know, doesn't seem to expect anyone to cause a fuss because there is no meal service or any onboard entertainment. He just casts a casual glance up the rows from time to time, not really seeing the people in the seats. I asked him if he had family back home in Tennessee, and he told me he had family all over. He has an ex-wife in Chattanooga and brothers helping evacuate Philadelphia, a girlfriend, nephews, comrades, pets, and all that. I asked him what's going on in the world, and he told me he's under orders not to discuss what he's seen because it could cause a panic or contribute to the spread of rumors and misinformation. He did tell me that he dropped out of a plane over a completely blacked-out Manhattan Island and had to shoot through something he described as worse than 9-11 and worse than his worst month in Iraq. Once a little distance down that track, his train of thought got too rough and he switched back to the moment, the here and now of our situation. He reset to the default response of a forced smile and the promise that we'll all be okay once we got to Site 2210. What's Site 2210? I asked. He took a breath and raised his voice a little so people could hear in the adjacent seats. Site 2210 is a relocation center serving western Pennsylvania, New York, and Ohio, where you will be processed, given shelter, food, and some rest before being sent elsewhere. What do you mean, elsewhere? Someone else asked. Fair question. He peered up the center aisle toward the source of the voice. Then I saw him lock eyes with the driver who was glaring back through the rearview mirror. He answered, I am not at liberty to say. It was dark, and I overheard something about roaming hostels. We were all instructed to remain silent, well, no problem with this crowd, and to keep away from the windows. We were advised to try and sleep if possible. We were driving by night vision. The sergeant didn't give me a hard time about my book light, I guess because my window is completely covered by sheet metal and the light is too dim to be seen beyond my row. I write this now because I'm afraid to close my eyes, afraid of what might reach out for me from the darkness. So I watch the sad young sergeant. He's keeping watch on the roadside. His eyes glow with the flickering green light of his night goggles. Chauncey Haworth, Mark Slade, and Lothar Tuppen. The demented minds behind the Twisted Pulp Radio Hour bring you Twisted Pulp Magazine. A journey beyond surreality to worlds you never knew or hoped existed. Worlds of the supernatural. Worlds of dark satire. 
worlds of nightmarish futures. Twisted Pulp Magazine. If you thought the 21st century was weird enough already, think again. Twisted Pulp Magazine. A step beyond your grandfather's pulp. Available at digitalvaudeville.com. That's D-I-G-I-T-A-L-V-A-U-D-E-V-I-L-L-E dot com. Music